Howdy, howdy, do who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome back. This is episode 308. Yeah. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years, and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes, and it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Howdy, howdy do. It is the Big Blue Box Podcast, back for another week. This is episode 308. Thank you very much for joining. It's good to have you here. If this is your first episode, jumping aboard the TARDIS, then welcome, welcome. It's good to have you. And if you've listened for a long time, welcome back. Grizzled Ancient, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Sounds like a good Doctor Who monster, that, doesn't it? The Grizzled Agents. You should write a, a book sorry, featuring the Grizzled Agents. Yeah, that's a new script in the work, isn't it? Yeah, sounds works, good. Yeah. yeah, the Grizzled Ancients. Doctor Who and the Grizzled Ancients. Yeah, I like go. that. Copyright it's, it quick. It's got a big finish written all over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a quiet week for Doctor Who once more. But we did have a little uh, we did have a little nugget of of uh, coolness from Chris Eccleston. Those of you that subscribe to the official Doctor Who YouTube channel would have seen his interview just before the Ninth Doctor Adventure goes live with Big Finish, and it's very amusing to still hear Mr. Eccleston gushing and having a bit of a, a love letter for Big Finish, but absolutely trashing anything to do with the TV, um, the TV <laughs> oh. version. Yeah, it's I've not still seen it. On. You'll have to inform, you know, enlighten me. What does he say? Because I've not watched it yet. I'll probably watch it um, after we record. Actually, yeah. I mean, he's in good spirits. Don't get me wrong. He's not. It's not one of those humpy Eccleston. Um, interviews or anything he's uh yeah he it mainly talks around um the reason why i say that is because he still reference it as the audio adventures of, of oh, doctor right. who and and, <laughs> and steers clear of anything to do with the tv um the tv version of his of his doctor but uh yeah uh the the biggest takeaway was um uh 
open to working with other characters that he's not worked with yet. And the main one was the master and River Song for his doctor. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that uh, he just doesn't know anything about the master and River Song. <laughs> uh, really? He doesn't really know anything about those characters in any detail, but said that he'd be happy to meet anybody within the audio world of Doctor Who and is entirely open to coming back and having an audio adventure with those characters. <laughs> Definitely not a TV adventure. Definitely an audio adventure. So uh, audio, right. Yes. And uh, yeah, and um, it was not, it's not a very long interview. It's only, I think it's only about sort of six, seven minutes long or something like that. And uh, yeah, and they asked him what the, what was the, the, the reason why he wanted to return to the character after such a long, a long gap. Did he say money? <laughs> yeah. uh, basically he said yeah it was uh, essentially paid work during the pandemic oh we did say money <laughs> yeah. I was joking but yeah he says it's not it might not be very fashionable to say this as an answer but it was just paid it was a paid job during the oh. pandemic which I still don't buy by the way I'm sorry Chris I know you listen nothing against you personally uh, Chris but uh, I'm still not buying that I'm afraid and um, yeah and then he went on to say that uh, the, the the main reason actually above the uh, Above the, above the uh, couple of ten pound notes that they threw him, it was about the quality of the writing, really. So he said, it's for him, it's always about the script, and the writers, and that's what attracted him to the projects and the quality of, of Big Finish. His writers is so high. He says it's been a joyous experience and and all that stuff. So, yeah, a, a cool little a little interview with him. Like I said, he was in good spirits on the interview. He seems quite happy to be back as the Doctor in audio form, of course. And um, yeah, it's uh, he's still, and you can tell as well. You can tell the whenever the the person, and we saw that as well with the Lorraine interview. Whenever they start to drift even slightly into anything to do with the TV, you can tell that he starts to fidget in his chair. He starts to sort of, you know, his his face changes a little bit. It's uh, bloody hell. I don't know what went down with him and Russell, but even just the inkling little nugget of anything to do with tv and his back's up and the walls are up and Mm. yeah it's it's bizarre but anyway on a positive it's um yeah we're right around the corner now aren't we from the ninth doctor adventures from big finish so yes i am looking forward to it i must admit i I haven't watched that little chris interview yet i'll um i'll give that a watch for i should imagine big finish's eyes lit up when he said about meeting river song i bet they're like oh yes yes that's a good idea because on Big Finish, I think Rivers met just about everybody. <laughs> so many releases with her. Um, so yeah, I bet they liked that idea. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, yeah it's the next month it comes out, isn't it? I'm looking forward to it. I've got it pre-ordered. So yeah, looking forward to that one. The trailer was good as well. They dropped a trailer, didn't they? Yes, that uh, was recently, good. Which was very good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All good. Nothing else has been happening, though, dude. We haven't got any more. Oh. We haven't got any tenuous links between actors who are putting their hat in the ring as the next doctor. No, I the, think Judy Dench was rumored, but uh, Judy no. Dench, yeah. <laughs> um Russell, no not Russell Brand. Um what's it? Joe Brand? Joe Brand. Uh, Russell was Brand. Keep <laughs> Russell, Russell Brand. Brand. He'd be a crazy doctor. This TARDIS, oh, this absolute monument of hope throughout the galaxy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> be crazy. Yeah. Uh, it waffle no, no, for ages. Re- yeah, listeners, if you think we waffle, crikey, Russell Brand is the doctor. Bloody hell. <laughs> Russell Brand and Joe Brand as a companion. That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, let's get it made. Uh, yeah, no, not a lot else happening. I had to turn my phone off the other day because uh, it was David Tennant's birthday. 50, that man. That 50. man is 50. 
Yeah, I turned my phone off because uh, I'm the I'm the only person in the world that hasn't got a photo with him. <laughs> and I was just going through my whole timeline. It's just everybody. And I was like, oh, fuck it. He's like the only doctor I haven't met. And I was like, oh, I'm, I can't stand it. I'm turning my phone off. But uh, no, can you believe that man is 50, though? It's looking good for 50, isn't he? Looks all right, isn't he? 50 is the new 30. Yeah. I started watching Staged this week. Oh, you have? After we oh, spoke Sammy about it. Pleased. Yeah, I last believe week. believe we haven't been watching that. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually very funny, you know. It's actually very funny to hear. It's funny to hear David Tennant swear so freely. Oh right! <laughs> it's he's very, it's, he's very. This is a bit of a paradox, but even though the show is called Staged, him and Michael Sheen act very, very natural, like it's very unstaged. So yeah. it's although it's written and it's scripted to a degree, I think there's a little bit of ad libbing and riffing in there between the two of them, bit of bants, but. For the most part, it's written, but it's it's very well. It's extremely funny. It's got a real dry sense of humour throughout the whole thing. It's not um. There's no slapstick humour. There's no. Uh, it's just really dry and deadpan throughout a lot of it. It's very funny, and it's just really funny to hear David Tennant because we're used to seeing him in even in more adult shows like Broadchurch and stuff. You don't really hear him swear that often in. No, most no of mention the, it. No. Yeah, most of the things that he does. I think there was a couple of. I think he's done a couple of things that are a bit more adult and he drops the F-bomb. But yeah, in the, in the opening, um, the opening uh, episode of Staged, it's, uh, it kind of rewinds time a little bit because they've, they've already recorded all of Staged and it's an opening interview with um, somebody and they're talking about how the process went. And there was, who's the, the guy from Monty Python? Uh, what's his John name? Cleese? Eric no. Idle? Keep going. Um, um, Terry Jones. No. Uh. Anyway, the guy from Monty Python was on and had a bit of bants there. And then it was about... Some oh, uh, Michael Palin? Michael Palin, yes. And there was uh, he was really funny. And, uh, and then it was about an American version of Staged. And David Tennant and Michael Sheen wanting to fly out and talk to the producers, which happened to be Whoopi Goldberg. And they, she was like... Well, actually, no. We don't want you to play your characters. We want some other people to play your characters. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then their flights get cancelled. David Tennant was meant to go to South Africa to film a project. The flight was cancelled, so he's got the hump. Him and his missus Georgia there, not very happy about that. And Michael Sheen was meant to go to New York. And so it's all like the it, it hits all the right notes around the pandemic and lockdown and that stuff. But it's very, it's just really well done. It's really simple. It's just essentially a Zoom call between David yeah. Tennant and Michael Sheen and some other people at times. But yeah, it's very cool, man. Very cool. I will, I will give it a, a watch. I shall have to get into it. I feel I'm a bit behind the times. Talking of uh, David in America, have you ever seen David Tennant did a, a film called Bad Samaritan, which is a, a really cool film where again, it's, it's a more adult. Um, he's playing quite a nasty character in it. Have you seen that? I haven't. He got the beard in that, has he? Uh, big, big old beard. Ooh, I can't remember beard. now. He's got a terrible American accent in it. I'm sorry to say his American accent is not, <laughs> particularly good but mm. he is good at it he does he plays evil quite well i have to say no it's a great film it's uh, I, I won't say too much about it because it's one of those it's got some nice little twists and turns you're not quite sure where it's going yeah good film if you get a chance to, yeah. to watch it 50 mm. years old though looking good 50. yeah looking good yeah. yeah i haven't really done much else I, i've uh, read warrior's gate the book you know I, I read full circle the other day and i've i moved on to warrior's gate uh it makes slightly more sense <laughs> than the TV, which isn't hard yeah. to be fair. Um, no, I, I probably should have read it before we did our review last week because uh, 
it definitely helped me understand the story. I don't know if it would have improved my score of it because uh, it's um, I'm still not sure it's a it's a bit of a strange one. But yeah, anyway, so I, re- I read that and, and did that. And the only other thing I've done is I listened to a bit of um, Big Finish. I listened to the uh, first part of the Dalek Universe, uh, Dalek Protocol, which is actually the fourth Doctor. I think it's like a little prequel to it, um, which was cool, quite enjoyable, nothing amazing, but uh, yeah, quite a nice little listen, killed an hour or so. Uh, Tom's great on Big Finish. You can tell he's absolutely <laughs> loving it. He just is so into it, you can tell. Um, but that leads into the, the new Dalek universe with Dave Tennant, and I'm um, I'm hearing so many good things about it. But I heard that you've got to listen to this one first. So right. I've been dying to get into Dalek universe because of all the good stuff I've heard about it. And there's obviously some big spoiler because people keep putting on Twitter, "Oh, spoiler, spoilers! Don't you know? Don't tell anyone what happens." And I something about an amazing cliffhanger. So I'm, I really must get it listened to before. Uh, before it gets ruined because yes it's it's apparently really good so yeah i've listened to the little prequel gonna move on to the the actual main thing now with tenant and again he sounds like he's having a a ball on big finish they those guys seem to be just really knocking it out of the park at the moment you know they've got all the actors on board they've got chris they've got david tom you know what i mean it's a great place to be at the minute isn't it big finish yeah there's no denying that for years now their consistency in their output is just crazy and the quality is always really good regardless if you like the story or not it's always really well done and well made even through the even through lockdown when people are recording at home and across you know different time zones and across the internet and stuff it's still it's still really good yeah can't fault them for that yeah no they're knocking out of the park mate but yeah apart from that i haven't been uh, doing much apart from uh getting out in the sunshine because uh, we don't see the sun very often here in the uk but we've got we've got it we've got it for a few days so yeah i've been out in the garden nice that's not reading a bad way to uh, books. Yeah, yeah it's not bad is it not a bad way to spend a, a day or an afternoon out in the garden reading some target books yeah <laughs> probably have a couple of beers well no i'm being good away. oh you've been good I'm being, okay yeah i'm being good because you know i like a drink but uh no, I'm, I'm trying not to drink in the week because I've put on so much weight during lockdown. I'm trying to be good, mate. So oh, okay. I'm, drink, I'm yeah. saving it for the weekends. The only downside of that is um, because I'm only drinking like one night a week instead of all week, I get plastered really quickly. <laughs> and, I, and I also get a terrible hangover the next morning. Oh, no. <laughs> so I think my body's just not used to it like it was before. Like I used to be able to drink and drink and didn't affect me. But now I'm like the next day, I'm like, oh, how many did I have? Two. Oh, my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also a side effect of age as well. Oh, is it? Oh, not that we're old. We're not old, of course. But um, yeah, I remember when I was younger, I used to be able to go out on a weeknight, a school night, and get, you know, not completely hammered, but, you know, fairly, fairly drunk, not too bad. Get up the next morning as if nothing happened the night before, just a normal, normal yeah. morning. But these days, like, yeah, two or three pints and I'm by... By two o'clock the next afternoon, still I'm just crawling around on all fours, you know, <laughs> searching for junk food and oh yeah, you know all that stuff. It's ridiculous, man. Yeah, I know, I know. Age terrible. Yeah. Anyways, let's crack on with our review. Actually, no, before we do that stuff, I'm going to crack into the uh, the stuff that you that you should know about, listener of the show. If you don't follow or subscribe to our show, then please do so for free on whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on. We're on all the the major ones, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, just all of them. We're on all of those. So whatever app you listen, just give us a search 
uh, find us and uh, we'd love to have you as a follower uh, so you don't miss a show when it lands every friday we are on the social media networks too instagram twitter and facebook just do a search for us or there are links over on the website which is big blue box podcast at uk uh, come and link off and uh, give us a like and a follow over there we chat doctor who on those throughout the week which is all good. We have a free Discord server as well. Again, there's a link on the website. Come and sign up and chat and hang out and yeah, just waffle about Doctor Who with lots of other Doctor Who fans, which is good. And we're on YouTube as well. We're doing live streams at the moment. Just Again, there's a link on the website. Come and subscribe over there. And we're currently doing them on a Saturday morning, but that might change to an evening. We'll see. We'll see how things go. But currently it's the morning coffee or morning tea, whatever you want to call it, with the big blue box. So go and do that. And remember to check out my co-host channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Yes, been put, putting out loads of videos recently. Go and check them out. Lots of things. Yeah. Indeedy. Yes, go and give Ad uh, subscribe over on his channel. Loads of cool vids there, and he's on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. That is me. Yeah. Once again, The Geek's Handbag. The <laughs> guys didn't get it. Yes, right, bud. Review time. Hit me. Yeah, so uh, carrying on in season 18 uh, with Tom Baker. This one is The Keeper of Traken. We've gone into orbit around one of the planets. What's happening? The Keeper of Traken. Well, guess, Doctor. Here, look how the lapid world of Traken faces disaster. It is on that count I ask you to come to Traken. Right. Think carefully before you agree. There is great danger in this for you and your young friend. Your keeper was attacked. Do I understand you to imply that one of us here used force against the keeper? Yes. It is only beginning. And along the way, many old scores will be settled, Doctor. Whatever happens, Melkor must not be allowed to make contact with the source. Am I to understand that you imply that blah, blah, blah (laughs) happened and blah, blah, blah? (laughs) This is going to go, I'm quite intrigued for your thoughts on this, because I have no idea, but this is going to go one or two ways, isn't it? (laughs) You'll either have loved it, or you will have been cracking up throughout it and saying, what is this? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's going to go one or two ways, yeah. Before we get on to that, some info. It was first broadcast back on the 31st of January, 1981. And it's a four-parter, and that went up until the 21st of February. It was written by Johnny Byrne, directed by John Black. Stars Tom Baker, Matthew Waterhouse, and then half a dozen supporting cast members. And the synopsis is thus. The fourth Doctor and Adric learn from the wizened Keeper of Traken that a great evil has come to his planet in the form of a Melkor. Melkor, 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 a calcified statue. The Keeper of Traken is nearing the end of his reign and seeks the Doctor's help in preventing the evil from taking control of the bioelectronic source that is the keystone of the Traken Union's civilization. Essentially, the Keeper's on his way out and he knows that the Melkor's <laughs> up to no good but can't prove it, so he asks the Doctor to intervene and stop him. So that a true next-in-line Traken person can take up the role of keeper and not the evil Melkor, which ends up being somebody else, in fact. So, dude, <laughs> you said it could go one of two ways then for you. What's what's the keeper Traken oh, for you? I think, yeah, I was going to say for you, I think it's going to go one of two ways. But uh, for me, um, overall, 
I enjoy this one, but that's not to say I do don't don't <laughs> find some of it a bit of a struggle. I think episode three, I was sort of slightly, I was getting a bit fed up of seeing the same three sets because um, it's so confined. It's all in studio. There's no location footage in it. Uh, it's a very confined story, and it's a bit of an odd one because it feels very old-fashioned in every sense of production. Um, it's a bit like Doctor Who meets Shakespeare. Everyone's talking in this very sort of, I don't know, um, very sort of theatrical way more than ever, more than sort of normal. It's almost intentionally sort of uh, as if it's the way that the people on trial can speak. Um but I, yeah, so I don't know. And it, it, it is very talky. There's not a lot of action in it, but I like the sort of overall storyline of it. So it's a bit of a strange one for me. It's, I think the best way I can describe it to you is to say it's this kind of story that I have to be in the mood for. Like if I'm in the mood for it, I can sit there and I can quite enjoy it. But if I'm not, I can find myself getting quite bored and, um, yeah, sort of drifting off a little bit. I mean, I've seen it quite a few times and, um, one of the reasons I do like it is because there's a, there's a bit of nostalgia attached to this story. I think it's one of the first things I ever saw in Doctor Who. Um, I've got really early memories as a kid, and I, if, I always think it's Legopolis, but then I see things, and I'm like, oh, yes, I yeah, I did see that as a child. The Melka, I absolutely remember. And, uh, so I would have been, what year did this come out? Uh, it came out in 1981. So I would have been six because i do i remember the melka and um i remember the tv screen eyes that's kind of what <laughs> sticks in my head as a kid so I was, so then i think this probably is one of the first things i ever saw but then i also watching warriors gate the other week um you know how your memory distorts things so i always as a kid picture canine going through this screen uh this white void which is i've never seen i always sort of think oh you know what episode is that that i can remember as a kid I think the more I think about it, that it was that scene in Warwick's Gate when Canine's walking off with Romana at the end and the black mm. and white photo. But in my head, it's distorted because obviously I would have been six years old. So this is kind of my earliest memories of Doctor Who, and the Melka definitely, stu- you know, stuck in my mind as a six-year-old. Um, I can just remember seeing that statue, um, and I think the reason I thought it was the Gopolis is because there's lots of greenery, like the set is all like a forest, and I think I confuse that with the tardis um walls and stuff being all covered in moss in legopolis so yeah there's a bit of nostalgia love for it which i think uh, forgives some of the slowness of the story i sort of takes me back a little bit to you know my earliest memories but yeah it's um i think it's just one that you have to be in the mood for it's not going to be one i would recommend to a casual viewer if they haven't seen many classics i think it's a bit too static and as i said you, you get bored of seeing the same sets over and over again i think um but I like the overall story, and it's a cool. Love the fact that Masters, you know, inside this Melkatardis. I think that's really cool. I love the bit where he appears on the chair, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh my gosh, he's you know he's he's he succeeded. What's going to happen?" and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just there is. It's just a little bit flat. That's the only thing I would say. I think it's a good story, but it is a bit flat in terms of the direction and and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's mm. it's okay. I think it's all, it's an all right. It's a good story, but I just think it's a bit uh, a bit flat at times. So, yeah, but a bit in the middle on this one, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got splinters like spin- in your bum because you're yeah, on the fence. Yeah, I mean, I, d- right. I do like it, but I also find it a bit boring. <laughs> so <laughs> if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, I'll read you. Mm. Okay, yeah, my thoughts are very similar, actually, dude. I think this is, yeah. uh, I think it's a really good, it's a, well, I think episodes one and four are really good watch. Episodes two and three, I could quite easily just have a nap. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, it can't really be a two-parter. I, I, it does need more time, I think, to do some of it, but four parts too long. So, um, and obviously I didn't really do three parters, did they? So yeah, it's weird. It's, um, I mean, it's got a great feel to it. Mm. It feels different to Warrior's Gate. It's got a very different vibe to it, which is nice. It doesn't have that strange, you know, uh, do I need to be taking something to watch this? Um, <laughs> like we had with uh, the eSpace mm. stuff. So it yeah. does feel like more, even though it's later on, and we're we're going through time and getting to, towards the end of Tom's run. It's it feels more like a classic Tom story in some ways, but yeah, it's just really boring in the middle, mm. which is weird because normally those six parters you normally have that real lag sometimes on episodes three and four, maybe four and five before you get to the finale. But this one, it really, really. I mean, there's not even a lot going on. There's not even though. I mean, they're absolutely filler, the middle two episodes. But even when I think back to, I only, watch, I only finished watching it last night, but even when I think back to episodes two and three, it's very much a, yeah, I really struggle to remember the specifics of what happened. It just seems mm. to be a very much a lot of, uh, what's Tremus's missus called? Um, Cass- Cassia. Yeah, Cassia. Cassia, yeah. So Cassie is going back and forwards all the time. She's going yeah. to the Melkor. She's like, I've failed. He's like, yes, you have failed, but go and do this. She goes and does something. And then she goes back to the Melkor. I failed. You know, and uh, so you have that. You have a lot of that going on. But then the Doctor and Adric and Tremus, they just sort of potter around. Yeah. There's no action. If I'm, you know. So that's it. I, I don't think we're going to talk about episodes two and three too much because literally not a lot happens. And also the the really interesting character, the current Keeper, uh, he's only in it very briefly, but he's a really cool, like the opening part of the story, really, really good. Like, yeah. You know, when he appears in the TARDIS at the beginning. Yeah, I love uh, all that stuff. And, uh, and he's just, re- I don't know, he's got a real authoritative presence about him. Mm. because of obviously his power i suppose and his wisdom and stuff and and he has a very good rapport with the doctor which is good which kind of insinuates that they've met before or something Mm. because they're very friendly with each other and it's almost like story time isn't it because it's a bit where they cut back to the the doctor and adric and they're leaning like on the the edge of his chair and sort of like really enthralled by what he's telling him he's like telling him a story and they're they're engulfed in it and and uh, and it's really cool, the warning as well, because that's really cool, because normally with these stories where something's happening on some planet, there's some dispute or there's a danger and the doctor's been drafted in to help. Normally it's like, right, go and help, or they've landed and they just somehow get drawn into conflict. And, you know, but with this one, the keeper's like, I really need your help because of what's happening with this Melkor character and this dark force. But please don't accept, you know, without considering the consequences there's great danger ahead for you and your you know your, your new companion and stuff and that's really goosebumpy that moment because it's like it's one of those few times where uh 
it, it almost sets up an expectation. It's like, right, okay, is the doctor going to be, is he, is he in a real danger here? Is it, is this going to be, obviously it's not a regeneration story, but is he really going to be put through it? Which is very cool. So I love the opening bit. And then the first episode carries on and then establishes these other characters, the, uh, you know, Tremus and Cassia and what's her name? Is it Katura? I think the other, yeah, the, the elder Luvik. woman. Luvik and those guys. Yeah. 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 Uh, the console, basically. Is it the console? Yes. Those guys. Yeah. So it continues all that. And we get a little bit of backstory about Traken and, and all that stuff. And then the sinister Melkor, you know, we know that something's not quite right. And we have mm. the comedic bit mm. where he pops his head around the door. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. the, and the keeper's like danger evil danger evil and then he sort of yeah. goes back around so all that stuff's really cool so yeah, I love the yeah. opening dude did you like the um the opening part of it because I thought and also the bounce between the Doctor and Adric very cool yes I did I was going to say I totally agree with you I, I loved the setup of the story at the start um, just the, the keeper appearing in the TARDIS you can you can tell Tom loves doing those sort of scenes because he's really good fun in that that sort of um, hello, sort of, you know the way he pops up and yeah, really fun stuff. And I like all the bounce of Adric, like you said. There's a bit where t- I'm sure Tom hits him in the face. Uh, did you notice it? He tells him, Shh, you know, Tom does his shh, and he puts his hand down. He he, yeah, yeah. he does definitely make contact with Matthew. And Matthew does look startled and almost gives him a bit of a oi look, um, <laughs> which I noticed at the start. But no, I, I really liked all that stuff, and it sets up the story really nicely and. Um, it builds the picture of what Traken is as a planet as well in a really simple, easy to understand way. So I really liked that. Um, and yeah, like you, I, I think the contrast of you go from that to then seeing this sinister statue of the Melka. I've been, I always say Melka, but I noticed Tom says Melkura, I think. I don't know. The, the statue, anyway, the Melka statue, which I think the design of it is brilliant. I, I, get, I just love it. Again, maybe it's because I loved it as a kid. I just find it fascinating that statue i really like the design of it it's sort of creepy and yet he looks quite sad doesn't he? he's got this sort of sad face the poor old milker um so that sinister statue and you know that something's going to kick off and and then gradually you get to see that there's actually something inside it which i think is again fascinating so it's it's not a sort of creature that's landed on the planet hang on there's something more to it there's someone inside it and then to then find out who that person is later in the story i think I love all that stuff. I think that's that's great. And um, although I did get bored of the same three sets, uh, I will say that the set designs in this are really good, considering it's all studio, this story. I think the sets look really good. I mean, I know it's a fake forest, but it kind of works. It suits the sort of theatrical style of the writing. It, it, I don't, it doesn't bother me that it's a, a set forest. I still think it looks great. And the doors with the big symbol in the middle it, it you know it really looks good it looks like the sets had a bit of money mm-hmm. thrown at it so although yeah. i got bored of the sets i do think they look they look great you know yeah the sets are good the the main i don't know what the room's called like the keeper console room not yeah that was the doors and everything yeah looks really good glass doors and the way that they were because with classic who Whenever you have doors, <laughs> a, <laughs> yeah. lot, a lot of the time they don't really line up properly. They're not really square. So, and it happens. What's really annoying is the 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 viewport monitor within in the TARDIS set. You know when they flick a switch and then these two things open up mm. outwards and they go top and bottom, so that they can see outside of what's going. You know that. 
the yeah. the two bits of cardboard it looked like that it looks like that they come together the bottom one's never straight it's always like off level so as it goes down to the bottom it's like higher on one side and it goes down and it's it doesn't line up properly yeah so you have that a lot with any time you have doors that come together or anything like that they never quite line up whereas these glass doors were perfect they're on this really nice kind of revolving thing in the floor so they mm. come round and it's uh yeah and it's got that etched pattern hasn't it on the glass itself and the gold finish around all the the edges and stuff it's a really nice little little set design actually. isn't it yeah very yeah cool. it is you're just talking to the tilers you've just reminded me actually um did you notice the uh, i'm just going to say this while i remember did you notice the console looked a little bit that you know the central column looked a bit wobbly <laughs> in the uh, last episode mm-hmm. uh didn't quite look its usual look like the motor was going a bit flat um, apparently that's because uh, even though JNT had just spent some money having it repaired, uh, it decided to break uh, during that uh, recording session. So they had to, they couldn't mend it. So they, they got one of the um, one of the guys on set to just go underneath the console and push it up and down for that little scene. And I thought, yeah, actually you can tell it's really, you can just imagine the poor guy under there going one, two, one, two, up and down, up and down, because <laughs> it does it does look a bit wobbly. Yeah, you can tell as well, that because it hasn't got the, the usual... I think the way that they did the motor before is that, like, say if the if, say if it was at the top, as it rises down, it slows down a little bit before it gets to the bottom. It's got, yeah, like, yeah, this easing kind of yeah. feel to it, whereas this one, it was just like, plonk. Yeah. Plonk. One, yeah. two, one. <laughs> and it wobbles two. as well, doesn't it? It's, yeah. But I guess you do what you've got to do, I guess. It's, um, yeah. I just wonder <laughs> it was under there. <laughs> yeah. Not not JNT, that's for sure. Definitely he was not. furious. I've just paid yeah. 50 quid to have that repaired. <laughs> Definitely not JNT. <laughs> things already broken. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, the, yeah, I agree. The sets were really good, actually. And the, the olive grove, the garden bit where the Melka statue is and... When you I see kept it, looking yeah. out for this. Um, apparently, the set designer just, and it's apparently it's there. I never spotted it. It says in the production notes, there's a golden lion in the centre of the garden, which is barely seen on screen. It says the director's sort of. Apparently, the, direct, the, the on the production notes, it says the director didn't really make uh, as much use of the sort of sets as he could have. But right. yeah, apparently, there's this glorious golden lion somewhere in that. Okay. Jungle, but I never saw it. So that that annoyed me. Although I was because as soon as I read that on the notes, it's like, oh, I've got to keep an eye out for this this lion, you know, because it does look like the, the the person who directed the sets has put a bit of effort in. Mm-hmm. And then John Black, the director's gone in, and he's kind of shot it quite. We we say this quite often, though. He's kind of shot it a bit flatly. It's uh, just a bit sort of shoot and point. So that that kind of annoyed me after I read that because I was like, no, I want to see more. You know, if there's there's more of this set. Let's see it. You know, stop shooting from that same spot. Mm-hmm. Move the camera around. Let's see this golden line in the middle of the set. Let's, <laughs> you know, because it, it did feel like the camera was in one place a lot of the time and they just switched it on. Yeah, I know what you mean. So even throughout each episode, when in different scenes, when they're coming into that garden, you can tell that the camera's just up on a platform in the corner uh, yeah. and it's just following them as they come in you know, and go around the, the statue or the time. Very little movement, is there? Yeah, or it's the other way, like behind the gates as you come into the garden, you see him running through and stuff. It's really weird, isn't it? There doesn't seem to be any middle ground in this era of Doctor Who. You either have, like we had with Warrior's Gate and State of Decay, you have these directors that try and do stuff, so it's not a static 
and they use these sweeping nice pans and stuff which is okay but they, but then they don't really talk to the lighting guy properly so when they're trying to move the camera around it's all good but the actors faces are in shadow you know <laughs> yeah. something doesn't look quite right or you just go to the other extreme like this one where it's just very static and very you know these guys are talking here so just point the camera there you know there's no movement or anything going on so i mean it, that can work sometimes even in modern doctor who episodes like midnight where that's very static so that yeah. that can work in certain situations but for things like this where you have got these lovely sets and you've got very limited sets then you have to reuse them over and over again like the corridors that they walk in and out of around the console room and uh you know it's got those sort of angled um bits of wall you know yeah i know exactly you know you know the corridor that they walk up and down for like 50 times so when you've got limited sets and a very number of limited sets in in a way you would think that they would be really trying to do like more more camera movements and trying to make it at least look different but the camera's just put back in the same spot or left in the same spot every scene almost it feels like so it, i think that's why it all that that lends into the whole it doesn't feel like it's moving very fast just even over four parts especially the middle bit it just feels like we're walking back and forwards back into the same room and out again back to the garden mm-hmm. and back again so yeah it does feel a bit who was the director again it was johnny was it johnny no it john was a john black yeah 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 i'm gonna put i'm gonna put um a bit of the blame for the sort of stillness of the story at his foot because i I do think it's a, you know, the sets are beautiful and, um, you know, this is 1981. There's, I think there is, you know, the cameras, yeah, they're still quite bulky, but there is still a lot more room for movement in, in this story. I mean, when the TARDIS lands, for example, we don't even see it land. It's just, it's just there suddenly. And they, there's a couple of seconds pause and they walk out of it. You know, there could have been a nice sweeping shot maybe down just even if it just went down from the TARDIS lamp to the doors and then come out, you know, there's just no sort of um, effort made to sort of make this put any zing into the story. And it is a good sort of, you know, it's a good little story at the heart of this. Um, it's enough to sort of keep people interested, but I think, yeah, it could have done with just a little bit more, you know, so like the Melka statue as well. What a joy that is to, to, to shoot that. I mean, you could have shot that from some really creepy angles made that really sinister like you know imagine sort of a camera shot of it looking up at that face you know there's lots of things that i think could have been done i guess you could use the, the excuse you know they didn't have the time i know that's that's very true back in classic coup but yeah. i'm thinking of like legopolis though mate you know there's that sweeping shot that comes down from the tardis lamp all the way around when the doctor and the master shake hands oh yeah remember that shot yeah stuff like that you know things yeah. like that just, just you know just put a few of them in just to keep the momentum going because yeah you're right there is a lot of walking around in this i think that's why i get bored is um there's a lot of walking and talking (laughs) and if you're gonna do that you know at least try something different put the camera on the floor shooting up or do something yeah Uh, it would would have helped it definitely would have helped to keep the interest yeah yep defo man and john black i mean yeah not really setting the world on fire in terms of directorial skills either the only other doctor who story he did was four to doomsday and oh. no really nobody really talks about that from how a mate you know from a, a direction point of view you know no one ever says oh don't four to doomsday average story but the direction's fabulous it's not yeah so, oh john sorry john 
Yeah, not uh, to be. I mean, I yeah, you know, not to be critical to Joe Blair. I just just saying it would have been nice. Uh, I don't know what constraints he was under, but yeah. it would have been nice to have had a bit more of the sets uh, utilised. You know, where is that gold lion? I've got to watch it again <laughs> now just to see this blimmin' thing. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I didn't spot it at all. Yeah, interesting concept as well with the whole the the Trakan thing as well, the Trakanites, which they don't really dive into too much. We don't get a great deal of history, do we, around. All we know is the Traken is the uh, is, is the home world. It's like the capital, isn't it, of the Traken Union, which is like a group of planets, like a little, a little um, in the in in this little system. And uh, uh, apparently, it was um, uh, for whatever reason, again, that we don't get told or we don't know. But uh, all the planets within the system they require a lot of upkeep and a lot of care for its citizens and all that sort of stuff which i don't really dive into too much detail but that's why they have the keeper of Traken to keep everything in order keep everything as it should be and stuff like that and this whole concept of i think they touched on this a little bit but i think the doctor says it that uh the the, the whole system just is just full of so many good good people and good vibes and stuff that evil just doesn't really exist in this planet on this planet or in this system yeah. which is kind of cool so yeah the whole Traken and the Traconites and I think we we do allude to it a little bit as we go through a few more stories with Nyssa uh, she she drops the odd little nugget here and there but uh, it's not a bad concept the whole Traken and the, the Traconites it's pretty good I, I like the concept I think it's interesting but <laughs> I was getting a bit finding the frivolous laughter a little bit tedious there's lots of <laughs> especially in episode one isn't it <laughs> good man good man yeah it's all that there's a lot of that going on well a dude, lot of sort of slapping on the back and yeah yeah well dude that's because um the uh Johnny Byrne the writer I yeah. think he was on holiday as people you know tv used to do back then so i think he'd put all the story and script together and then buggered off on holiday but then they needed to do some rewrites and stuff like that so he was unavailable so christopher bidmead stepped in and rewrote quite a lot of it oh yeah and what he did was he took it back to i guess a similar vibe to what we had in the e-space stuff where it was a bit of a medieval feel and a Mm. shakespearean feel to it so he had added um yeah, so he he was really Chris Bidme was really up for the whole Shakespearean medieval vibe and oh, stuff like right, that. Okay. So I don't think that was in there to begin with. I think it was meant. I could be wrong, but I think it was meant to have a bit more of a modern feel to it. Yeah, with the Trakans being a bit more not so not so dated looking and Shakespearean. But that was Chris Bidme that added all that stuff in. So yeah, all of that and the hairstyles and the little beards and the dress. You know, it's all very like you've gone to see a play, a Shakespeare play, and so thank uh thank mr bidmead for that stuff i get you yeah i mean it is it is very theatrical isn't it like the performance the sort of tone like you said the what the, the way they're dressed the hairstyles yeah <laughs> it's definitely got that vibe going on it kind of works i like it when you mix medieval along with sort of quite modern because they've got sort of quite modern equipment like you said like the, the glass door yeah battlefield battlefield yeah that yeah. sort of thing and um what was the other one? Uh, State of Decay. They had a bit of that going on, didn't they? Where there's sort of modern equipment and and stuff. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I like it when they do that. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it was just a little bit too pantomime at times. I thought a little bit too theatrical. <laughs> I mean, all the old "Hello, my good man." Ha ha ha! Yeah, you know, it was, and it, it got a little bit too much. And it also adhered to some of those old Shakespearean sort of themes that you have. You always have the very serious people who are the leads. 
and this is the tragedy, the tragic story that's happening to them with Cassia and yeah. and, and Tremus, their, their husband and stuff. But then you also have this kind of, not a jester type character, but you have this kind of comic character. So there was one guy who had a, he was one of the consuls and he had... Um, is it Luvik? I th- yeah, it was Luvik, yeah. He he was the guy that was like... Uh, I don't know. He had like a bit of a grin on his face a lot of the time, but he didn't really contribute a lot to what was going on. He was just there to throw these little, these little comedic lines in here and there. So that was that even that makes it even more Shakespearean to a degree because you have this kind of comic booky, not comic book but comic character. But he's not meant to be a, a laugh. He's not in there to provide jokes. He's just meant to be this little. You know, I'm going to provide a little bit of air, an air of um, take the the harshness out of the mood. I think is the best way to put it. And he, yeah, Luvik was very much that guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I and, kind of wish he'd um, been given a bit more to do though, because I felt there was a bit more potential from him. Because he has got that sort of cheeky, chaffy face. He, he could have been a funny character, but I don't know. He got like the odd, he got like the odd bit here and there, but <laughs> didn't really get a lot else. Yeah, Robin Sones, yeah, playing Luvik. Yeah. He was uh, he was okay with what was written for him, but yeah. it, it felt to me like he was there by default because he mm. never it, it never every scene that he's in it always felt like he didn't know why he was there or or didn't really understand what was going on. He was the guy that was as, as along with this kind of smirk on his face like Sorry, what's what what's a Melkor? You know, you know those kind of lines. He yeah. also had that confused look a lot, where he was scratching his head, like, "Oh, what's going on?" He, he had that going on all the time. Whereas, um, obviously, Cassia and um, and who was the older gentleman as well? Was it Seron? I think it was Seron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The See? older gentleman that gets killed yeah. about halfway through. So him, Cassia and um Katura. they seem very wise and they know exactly what's going on with the with the keeper and the reasons why they do these things and and all that lot whereas Luvik was very much uh are we are we doing this okay then okay fantastic and then like a scene later there's like something else kicking off and he's like oh okay well i'm not sure well what, what is going on you know it, so he's an interesting character but i felt like he was there maybe he was just born into that role Maybe his parents were, you mm-hmm. know, consuls or stuff like that. He definitely wasn't voted into that role for sure. No, definitely not. I do like the bit when he runs, when the doctor's like, quick, get in the chair at the end before the <laughs> flame goes out and he runs up and gets in. I thought that was a, that was a nice little moment for his character. Totally suited, you know, uh, his his character. I thought Luvik appeared like the bumbling. Oh gosh, quickly, but even, get in that chair. But even then he didn't know why he was doing it. No. Did he? It was <laughs> no. like, would you jump off a cliff? If the doctor if the asked doctor you to, he probably to, would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just uh, talking about what we're talking about, the, what do you call them? Tracharians. What are they called? Tracharians. Love it. <laughs> the Tracharnites. Tracharnites. That's the one. Um, so, so <laughs> that's Nyssa, actually a better name, the Tracharians. I know. Hang on. Let me get that copyright. Uh, yeah. So Nissa, right. I thought she was in this a lot more than she is. <laughs> so I'm watching it thinking, because, uh, you know, I'm, Watching it, thinking it's Nissa's first story. We know she becomes a companion, so I'm sort of watching it, and she's not actually in it that much, is she? She's not actually. No, really. I mean, she's good when she is in it, but what I'm trying to get out here is I'm I'm watching it, and 
Sarah Sutton was only sort of offered the part of a full-time companion during the first recording of the first, you know, uh, episode or whatever. So that's like really late in the day to say, actually, she's quite good. Should we have her as a companion? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's get her on board full-time. It seems a really... I mean, just that's just not the way they would do it now at all, is it? You know, you wouldn't go up to someone who's on the first day of recording and say, actually, do you fancy joining the TARDIS team full-time? Oh, yeah, go on then. That sounds good. Um, but yeah. what, what confuses me about it is I like Nyssa. And I, as, as, as she goes on in the series, I think she's a really good companion. But I'm watching her in this, and she's good. But what made her stand out? for the production team to say, actually, she'd be a good companion because I don't see anything. I'm not watching it thinking, I'll tell you what, you know, like when you watch Sally Sparrow in Blink, you're yeah. thinking now she's great. She'd be a good companion. I'm watching Nissa in this. And although she's good, I'm not sort of sat there thinking, you know what? I hope she joins the TARDIS team. Like what, I wonder what it is about the character of Nissa that, that they picked up on that made them think during recording of the story, I think we'll get her on board full time. Yeah, she's I, I unusual think... as well. Even as a character, she's, you know, she's quite an unusual character to consider for a companion as well. Yeah, I think I know what you're driving at. It's, it's yeah? like, say, for example, if she wasn't offered the role of companion. Yeah. And this finish had wrapped, this story had wrapped up, finished and all that stuff. You wouldn't automatically go back and think, dude, that Nissa Miss- would make a great companion. Yeah. I think you I know what you're saying. Opportunity yeah. there. And yeah. don't get me wrong, I love Nissa. I do think she's a great companion because of the story she gets to do after this. But I just didn't see anything in this story that made me think I could see why they picked her as a companion. She's brilliant in this story. You know, she really takes control of that scene or, or anything like that. Because she's a bit of a background character in it, really. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm not sure on the history around that, though, which is... Because sometimes we do get some info on that, either in interviews or behind the scenes stuff. Like we had, we had some stuff around Sophie Aldred when she was joining, and I think we had some stuff with um, Tegan when Tegan jumped on board. Mouth on legs, actress's yeah. name. What's her name? Janet Fielding. Janet Fielding. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we had, we normally get some stuff around. Uh, we know what was behind the scenes going on when those actors, actresses or actors went for that role. And we know that um, some other people were meant to be companions and ended up, you know, that didn't work out and stuff. Whereas Nissa, Sarah Sutton, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? Because Ooh. I don't know if she auditioned for the role as a full-time companion. No. Nope. And there's a byproduct of that. She ended up being in the Keeper of Trakan or... Um, or like you said, she, they offered her the part. But what I mean is, I'm not sure if behind the scenes they said, we've got this role of companion coming up after the yeah. Keeper of Draken. You know, we want the character of Nyssa to, to fill that role. Do you want to do it beyond being in the Keeper of Draken? And she was like, yeah, of course, whatever. Because Sarah Sutton just left acting completely after she left Doctor Who. Oh, did she? Other than, being, in, yeah, other than being in Big Finish and stuff. She... Uh, she left acting pretty much when she was done with Doctor Who. So it wasn't like she was, you know, auditioning here, there and everywhere for different roles and stuff. And Doctor Who had managed to come up and then she went for the companion role. So I'm not, I'm not sure, mate. It's a bit of a, but it's very, it's a very good point you make though, about the character and the, her involvement in the, in the story as a whole, you just wouldn't put two and two together. Like Nissa being, having a very shy 
small little role equals full-time companion shortly afterwards so yeah it's a bit of a yeah it's it's, i was gonna say uh, nothing against sarah sutton on on this because i really like her as a companion but it's just a sort of looking at the whole everything that's going on at this time when they were making this so tom's only just decided to leave so the producer's thinking right tom's off um so I'm going to have to start looking for a new doctor. Uh, I think I need a new companion. I'm just wondering what it is about Nissa that, that sort of jumped out at him and made him think, oh, right, I've got it. She could be a new companion. I'll probably bump Adric off soon. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't know. Maybe it was just maybe it's just because Tom was leaving and the producer's thinking ahead and maybe thought, oh, I'll get her in, see how she goes. I don't know. But mm. um, it just there was nothing in this that just struck me as, yeah, she's. I could see why they thought we need to see more of Nyssa because they don't give her an awful lot to do in this story. Um, certainly no, not as much no. as I thought she did in my memory, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I no, think Richard. if I think of Nyssa, I think I confuse her a lot with Cassia. I think of all the stuff Cassia does, like talking to the Melker and, um, you know, with the funny eyes. And I think I, I confuse a lot of that in my mind with that being Nyssa. But actually, no, Nyssa's not really in it that much. She gets to have a bit of a ruckus with Cassia at one point. Um, but I think that's about it, isn't it? She sets the doctor free at one point. Yeah, she goes uh, and rescues um, rescues those guys, and yeah, that scene when she takes on the guards, you know, she zaps them with the I've forgotten what they what she calls it, the putter to sleeper thingy. Oh, that thing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the doctor gets it. It's quite funny the way he just nicks that thing, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, like... he just casually puts it in his pocket, like I'll have that for later. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I, I completely agree, mate. Yeah, and I thought. Um, as well as her being in it more, I thought her her role was more important in the stuff that she was in it. I the did, time yeah. that she was in it, because yeah. um, at the beginning, they go through this phase, don't they, where they basically say, look, Cassia, you've been tending to the statue all these years and stuff you've, and all that. Basically, you're out. You're going to be replaced by somebody. Why not, you know, Nissa? So I thought that they promoted her up and she was doing more of the stuff with the Melkor throughout the story that's how i remembered it anyway she was elevated mm. to a bit more of an important character and we see more of her but yeah it's a strange old thing isn't it yeah it is actually although i have just thought of something that, that, that didn't occur to me uh, last night i suppose it's quite interesting the fact that <laughs> Nissa's dad has now become the master so i guess you've got something to play with there that you might want to carry on so they might be thinking okay so we've just we've just you know turned her dad into the master she doesn't know that so we could when we bring the master back, we could have Nissa there thinking he's her dad when it's not, even though he actually looks quite different by the time Nissa sees him, she still <laughs> recognizes him. Doesn't she? Yeah. Like he's lost the hair, the big beard's gone. He's got a little goatee, but she still recognizes him. But um, yeah, so that could have been a factor possibly. I can see that. I didn't think about that last night, but that might've been a factor. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Talking to companions though, mate, we're now down to just the doctor and Adric, right? <laughs> So, mm-hmm. you know, the tension, Lala's gone. There's no more sort of glares across the console. You just got Tom and Matthew. Um, I noticed Tom's still not looking at him. <laughs> so he didn't look at Lala. He's now not <laughs> looking at Matthew, I noticed. Um, but what do you think of those guys together? Because you mentioned the bants in episode one, and I really liked that. And I'm just going to say this now. I think Matthew Waterhouse, we said um, he was a little, you could tell that... Uh, Stay of Tacoma was his first story he filmed because he seemed very unconfident in his little struts and stuff. But I think he's found his confidence in this story. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think he's even got his own hair. I think the wig's gone. I'm not sure. I can't tell. But uh, he definitely is more assured. And I actually quite like Adric in the story. He's uh, He's got a bit of confidence about him. He's working out how to fly the TARDIS and operate the controls. And he's given the Doctor... A, there's a bit of bounce between him and the Doctor. And I, I actually quite like the Doctor and Adric together in the story. I think hmm. there's a bit of friction. There's a bit of comedy. Uh, Adric gives him a couple of little smiles when the doctor's it's a bit like you know when your uncle tells you a funny joke and you don't really find it funny <laughs> but you you give him a little smile and a chuckle anyway there's a bit of that between the doctor and Adric isn't there where the doctor's you know giving him a bit of bravado and Adric just humors him yeah, and I think it's yeah. quite nice I quite like the sort of um, the relationship between the two that we get in this story yeah. definitely a different dynamic I think so. And I think you're right. Adric or Matthew Waterhouse definitely finds his feet a little bit more yeah. with this episode. There's no more of the, the there's no, the, the, the famous little strut that he does in his first scene <laughs> and that sort of nervous walk. And also the way that in, in a very grand sense of irony, <laughs> the way that he delivered his lines in his first few episodes even though he criticised or suggested that Tom delivered his in a certain way. Um, the way that he delivered his lines early on in his character is very much, uh, he delays and he leaves a lot of air around his words. He tries to make it a bit grander than what they actually were. Whereas from this story onwards, he does kind of, it's tightened up a bit and he's, you know, he's, yeah, he's definitely found his feet and his confidence a little bit more. And yeah, I think, I mean, the, yeah, go on. No, sorry, I was just going to say exactly that, that he's found his feet. There's a scene between him and Nyssa in the TARDIS where he's very confident in delivering his life. I mean, you can just tell that he's he's definitely got more into it. And um, obviously those first day nerves of working with Tom have gone out the window. Maybe the fact that Lala's not around as well was just taking that pressure off his shoulders a little bit so he can, you know, he's now the main companion. Maybe he's enjoying that, that it's him and Tom. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit sort of father and son relationship, isn't it? Like the Doctor seems to be trying to show him stuff and help him and you know so there's a little bit of that as well which i like um yeah but yeah he definitely found his feet i think in this one which was good to see yeah and i think it's noted that tom was very moody during the filming for different reasons than we had the last few episodes so even though lala ward's gone now i think he was still very they were still going through quite a difficult time. This was just before they had decided that the solution to their problems was to get married. Yeah, so I think, still, um, <laughs> didn't they actually get married during the making of this story? Towards the end, yeah. 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 <laughs> so the, the majority of the time, because Tom was still going through that stuff, and he was still a, you know coming out of, he, he was quite unwell, and he was coming out of that, but still things weren't quite very, still things weren't quite as it should be with with him and the missus so uh he was a bit moody um, but he also didn't like it was really weird because some people have said that although he was moody because what was going on he still missed her he still missed having her around yeah i'm sure yeah. and he also wasn't really fond of being surrounded by all the newcomers so adric hmm. was still fairly recent at this point nissa was obviously new and then all these other cast members without lala and stuff like that so it's noted that he was fairly grumpy and, and moody during the production however there are scenes where you've mentioned that he doesn't really look at adric and he doesn't to a large degree but they do have this cool little rapport where the doctor says something very serious in a very serious tone with a serious look on his face adric says something 
uh, as, a, as a response. And then the, t- the, the doctor's got this really big grin on his face as he looks back at Adric. And yeah. they have this little to and fro where, you know, and Adric, you know, he smiles back up at him. So you're right, yeah, it's a little bit father and son. But I think there is a, I think they have a fair, a much better rapport than they have previously, put it that way, in the previous stories with him and with him and Adric. It definitely feels better. Yeah, maybe take. Yeah, but I'm probably not right saying far and some, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it's as though the doctor's taken Adric under his wing. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. a bit of Which trivia for like. you. A bit of trivia. Oh, I love a bit of trivia. A bit of trivia. So, um, the with without if you discount Nissa, I guess this is like a pre-companion, you know, appearance. She's not really a com- she's not a companion issue at this point. So, no. this is the first TV story, anyway. The first TV story that the Doctor travels with only a male companion, that wouldn't happen again until 36 years later in The Return of Doctor Mysterio with Nardal. I hadn't really twigged that, I'll be honest. The the last time that he travelled just with a male companion. That's I thought, it's just stats like that that you think, is it? Can't be. Well, no, yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. No, I hadn't, I hadn't really twigged that because I was sort of thinking Turle, but I suppose he's got um, Harry with him. Mm-hmm. That? But I don't know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he likes the ladies. Uh, he likes the ladies, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about a few other characters, dude. Uh, just to wrap this up, we've, we've spoken about um, uh, Luvik, Robinsons, uh, Katura, Margot van der Berg, very posh name. Uh, the older lady she was all right oh, yeah, she was yeah, um about her, yeah. the only thing that i'll say about katura as a character is that she was very easily led <laughs> by what yeah. was going on very rarely did she stand on a sort of stand up to anything it was like well cassie was like well this is going on so we have to do it and katura was like oh okay then yeah we'll go with that and then you know something else happens the guards you know these guys the fosters these kind of guards that the milling around who are very easily defeated by the way yeah. um, they sort of come in and say actually you know we should probably be doing this and um seron's like nope we're doing this so Katura's like yeah go on then we'll follow you so although she was a wise old bird she was yeah i found that she was very easily led a lot yeah but her she performance was. wasn't too bad no she can't, she had the good she had a good look she suited the the look of the character i thought but yeah uh, yeah a bit yeah. of a sheep uh, did you recognise John Wood Woodnut? Woodnut. Um, who played Soren. Yes. Because uh, I, I yep. straight away I was like, now I know him, now <laughs> where have I seen him before? And I got it quite quickly for a change. He was in Terror of the Zygons, wasn't he? Yes. The, yes. Uh, he was the the guy that gives them a lift at the beginning, was it? And then he pops up again a few times. He gives the Doctor and somebody a lift and he's extremely grouchy. Yes, I think that's that him, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's apparently he was also in Spearhead from Space and frontier in space as well but i don't remember him in those but i definitely recognized him from terror of the zygon straight away yeah yeah, yeah. he's got a bit of a his beard's bigger in this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah he wasn't too bad though john wouldn't he's he all was, right uh, yeah not bad the most authoritative out of the the console which is good mm-hmm. um what do you think to cassia then sheila ruskin i liked yeah. her i thought out of all of them she was the one given a slightly more serious performance i didn't think she was as theatrical as the other. So I thought she was good and I felt sorry for it. Cause when she does the crazy eye thing, <laughs> I mean, you can tell that she's closed her eyes and they've either, they've either painted on her eyelids or they've put something in her eyes. They painted, I her quite, eyelids. Yeah. They painted it. Yeah. I couldn't work out quite what, um, 
But I thought she was good. I, I kind of like, because when you're doing that whole, you know, she's worshipping the statue and, you know, I, I want to help you, Milk, and all that. It's, it's very easy to go OTT in that. And I thought she, she kept the sort of performance at a certain level. So I liked her. I thought she was good. And I did feel sorry for her having to do that thing with her eye because um, I think she said in the making of there was one bit when they'd sort of applied it or done whatever they did to her eyes. And she, it basically made her, you know, she couldn't see anything while she had those things in and, and stuff, all the paint on. And, um, you know, they called lunch. This is just a typical, you hear this sort of thing all the time during Classic Kid. They just called lunch forgot about her and left her sat in front of those blooming glass doors. And she was like, hello, <laughs> she can't open her eyes. Cause she's got this stuff on them. And she's like, can anybody, can somebody help? <laughs> it's just, they've all gone, gone off to lunch and left the poor woman behind. But I <laughs> thought she was good. I thought she was good in the part. She was actually. Yeah. And you're absolutely yeah, right. She, she was out of all of them. She is probably the most theatrical and, uh, potentially needed to be as well. Cause she was, oh, I, I meant, yeah. yeah, I sort of meant the other, yeah, but I thought she wasn't as, um, when I said theatrical, I mean, I thought she wasn't as OTT as the others, if you know what I mean. I thought she oh, kept the performance. Right. She, she still had to deliver that sort of stuff, but I don't think she went over the top. She wasn't giving all the sort of grandeur that the others did. Oh, well, I thought she was when she was, not, oh. when, not when she was in the company of the other consoles and stuff, but when she was out in the garden with the statue, she, I, I thought she was very much, uh, no, oh, right. no. <laughs> yeah, she was a bit like, right, actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, but she was still cool, though. She was actually pretty cool. Yeah. I thought she was good. And she looks a little bit like Sarah Sutton as well. You could see why, you know. Yeah, yeah there's definitely, yeah. Yeah, I like her big, I don't, I don't know if it's a real hair, but the fiery red hair looks, mm. looks good on set. I wouldn't have put that thing around my neck though. You know, here's mm. a gift. Oh, what is it? <laughs> looks a bit suspicious. No, that's fine. It's just going to control your mind. You know, it starts glowing red, that necklace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dennis Carey then the keeper in all the old oh, man makeup great, and stuff. Wasn't he? Very he's good. good. Yeah, I like him. And now, yeah. have I seen him somewhere before? You have. Where? But not in a way that you think you have. If that makes sense. Oh. Uh. Uh, yeah. So he, he is in. He is in other other Doctor Who. He's in. Um, you wouldn't really have seen him though. He's in Sharda, as in like incomplete Sharda. Oh right. Okay. And he's also in Time Lash. Oh, is he? Yeah, Borad. Oh, dear. Yeah, so he's obviously, his most recognisable contribution to who is the keeper in this story, but he does pop up in some other little bits otherwise. But yeah, he was very cool, though. He had a really cool, um, you know, for somebody that was directed to sit still the whole time, it really <laughs> relied on his um, on his voice and yeah. his kind of keeping his facial expression because there's absolutely no way that you could crack a smile that just then def- just it shatters the illusion of what this character's about. So he had to be very stern and very uh, al- almost um, concentrating really hard on the situation at hand. And his voice is quite, you know, quite soft, but also quite authoritative. He had a he had a good a good way with it. So yeah, quite like Dennis Carey as the keeper. Yeah, no, it's good casting. I, li- yeah. I liked him. Yeah, I thought he was good. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Sutton, then we've spoken about Sarah. Doesn't really, she doesn't really do much as Nissa in this one, like you said, like we've said. Mm-hmm. She's just a bit popped up here and there. She's not bad. Obviously, she gets a lot better as Nissa as we progress through her run, but yeah, not too bad. Definitely. Uh, right. Anthony Ainley, then. Yeah, I can't, I've only just realised we haven't really spoke about him, but yeah, yeah Tremus slash 
a new body at last yeah the master so um, tremus as we know is an anagram of master which is quite clever mm. and uh this kind of kicks off a very very loose it's often classed as the very loose master trilogy isn't it because he's in this and the next two stories yeah so what do you reckon then to anthony ainley then because at the very end we see him as we know the master you know, with the dark hair and the nice goatee and stuff. and But what did you think? To, that's only a few seconds, though. So let's really talk about him as Tremus. Um, what did you think to him as Tremus, then, that, that character? Uh, it was nice to see him doing a different part, and it was nice to see him playing someone that isn't the master dressed up who's going to rip his mask off <laughs> at any minute. And it was me all the time. Um, so it was nice to see Anthony playing a different character. I, I would... I think he got better. I was going to say in the first couple of episodes, I kind of was thinking he was seemed to be holding back a bit. So I was, you know, the performance wasn't um, exactly shining. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't really sort of jumping off the screen at me. But I don't know by the sort of towards the end of the story, I think he sort of got into the part, and I think there was some good rapport with him and Tom. I love the bit where Tom stops him from leaving. He's like, "It's too late, Tremus," and and all that stuff. So. Um, yeah, I thought he was okay as Tremor, so I, I don't think I think he could have given it a little bit more. I'll be honest with you, um, but I liked it. it. Was just nice to see Anthony playing a different part where he wasn't the master in disguise. And I love the end. It's I, I get the feeling he's just all the way through. I just get the feeling that Anthony only can't wait to <laughs> turn into master because as soon as he does, he's absolutely straight into it, isn't he? He's like I'm the master, and he looks like a kid in a candy shop. And although it's only for literally seconds. You can just tell he's going to love doing that part. He's so, on it, isn't he? Right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So I feel like maybe he was just sort of um, holding back a little bit because he just knew that he wanted to, to to make the two characters so different. I think is what he's doing, which which does work. I mean, Tremus doesn't feel like the master at all. So um, in that sense, I think it was a good performance. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree, dude. Yeah, he did play. Uh, it was a good rendition of somebody that you thought. Because I th- the very first time I watched this story, I did think, is that the master pretending to pretending be. to be Dreamus? But then that didn't make sense, obviously, with the actual master in the in the Melkor. But there was still a little part of me that thought, even if that's not the case, is Dreamus got a hidden agenda? Is is he up to something that you know? But he 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 hasn't. He is a he is trying to do the right thing, and it's cool that he aligns himself with the Doctor quite early on because those two or him, the Doctor and Adric, they do make a good team for the most part. They do manage to to accomplish quite a, a few bits. So yeah, so as Tremus, there are a couple of scenes where he blows up and shouts at a couple of people. But Oh yeah, there is a bit yeah, towards the end, isn't there, where he loses his rag. I thought, oh yeah, that's, I want to see a bit more of that. Yes, yeah. yeah. But fairly tamed, fairly, you know, fairly sort of semi-confident, I guess, as that kind of character. And then, yeah, you're right, at the end, soon as that wig and the beard comes off, he's just... Wow, it's like straight on it, isn't he, as the master? Mm. Even he doesn't say anything and he's not on screen for too long. You know, he's he's boom. He's in he's in the zone. So yeah. Yeah. Is this the only um time that Jeffrey Beavers plays the master on TV? I know he's done big finish, but is this I think he wasn't the master in um Deadly Assassin, was he? Hmm. I need to just Google that. Was I he? don't know, because cause he gets quite a good Again, he's a little bit theatrical, isn't he? And he's like the way he delivers his lines, but he's quite creepy as the master in this. Although we don't really see him till almost right to the end. Um, that great little scene between him and the doctor, 
when the doctor goes inside the Melka TARDIS. I think he's brilliant. That scream he does is horrific. When the it's a really horrible scream he does. Um, yeah, no, he does, he's not in. Burned. He's not in Deadly Assassin. No, who's um, the master in that? I've forgotten his name. Oh, um, actor's name. I don't know. Deadly Assassin Doctor Who. Um, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I thought Jeffrey Beavers gives a nice, uh, very sinister performance mm. of the master, if you like this. And I do love it when we go inside the master's TARDIS. It looks very different in this, obviously, because it's kind of like it's weird that the inside is like the outside of the Melka, because generally the TARDIS would just be the master's TARDIS, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be because mm. even the scanners are the shape of the eyes of the Melka, which you think about it kind of doesn't make sense but then he has got another tardis inside yes. so that's quite yeah. handy because yeah, uh, yeah. like, that slightly confused me i was thinking so this TARDIS is burning and blowing up but oh it's all right because he's got that other tardis in there so <laughs> i don't know how many tardises he's nicked over the years um yeah but, but yeah i liked his performance anyway i thought jeffrey beavers gave a quite a cool sinister performance of the master peter pratt was the oh, there we other go. master there we are yeah in deadly assassin yeah definitely a different mask though i think the mask got i think it perished in between production so i think in this one jeremy jeremy beavers has just got makeup plenty of makeup applied and stuff it's not the it's not the, the oh, yeah, someone's got like the eyes don't move do they it's all it's like That's a it. one-piece mask isn't mm-hmm. it yeah. uh, in the deadly assassin i think this looks slightly better because you, you get to see more like when he does that scream you can actually see the expression on his face. It looks like uh, it's proper horror film yes. sort of stuff. It looks yeah. better. It's more scary. Yeah. yeah. I just wish we'd got a bit more between him and the doctor. Yeah. I mean, that would have been cool because we normally have that, you know, uh, the face off between those two is always most of the time pretty legendary, which, which was good. But I guess we have it at a distance, but don't we? We have the master inside the mail core. The doctor doesn't really know. I think he has a little inkling, doesn't he? Early on. Well, he should do because it makes the TARDIS sound when it lands. Get thinking, come on, Doc. Like, yeah. you're being a bit slow here. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's quite a nice build up to it, isn't there? Mm. It would, I just think um, it's great when the Doctor finally gets inside with the mask and you're like, here they are. And it's literally over in seconds, isn't it? Yeah. So. But, yeah, I think the Doctor even mentions, he's like, I have a feeling that I should know him. Or mm. I should recognize, you know, something like that. And, yeah, so he does have an inkling, and but. Yeah, so they are sort of up against each other, but not in the traditional, you know, they know who each other is, or certainly the Doctor doesn't know at at that point. Yeah, which makes a nice change, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Jeffrey Beavers, um, pretty cool as the Master, he's very sinister, even has the the very big, proper evil scream, you know, when Mm. he realises that the source has been tampered with and and all that, he has the big scream and stuff, which is cool. Yeah. Right, Matthew Waterhouse then. I think we've spoken about him enough. Um, oh, it- there is one last thing I want to say about him. Oh, cool, just cool. I, just because I know it, it would have made you laugh. So he does get to do, there's a lot of um, storm wind acting in the final part. <laughs> and he does get to do this brilliant, I'm fighting the storm acting. Now, what would have made you laugh is if they had actually filmed it the way they were going to do it and they didn't. Um, so you know the bit where he gets blown backwards and he has to do this sort of backwards so as it as if he's out, you know, been blown yeah. back. Um, they were going to attach a harness to him and pull him back, <laughs> which Sweet, sounds, yeah. considering how health and safety was out the window back in the eighties, I dread to think what would have happened to Paul Matthew. They didn't have time to put him in the harness, so he had to do it by visual acting instead. Some mime, um, but which yeah. is still, which, yeah, which is still quite funny. But imagine if they'd have 
right, ready? You you keep going, and we're going to yank you backwards. They would, oh, poor Matthew would have been gone flying. Yeah, bless him across that room. But yeah, he had to do it via acting. I think he does quite a good job, but it is quite funny. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly going for it. He's yeah. going for it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. The old wind machine's on. Turned up to eleven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny when that happens. It's a nice visual cue that something's happening with the keeper or the source or or both because it happens earlier on, doesn't it? When uh, Cassia goes into the the glass chamber thing, and then we have the big storm that kicks in, and the wind kicks yeah. up, and it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And then what about Tom? Then do we need to talk about Tom much more? I mean, a little bit broody still, not quite classic Tom that we'd seen in previous series, but still very, still very uh, uh, affirmative in what he's doing. Very confident, and I like those little bant moments with with Adric and so on. Yeah, he's good in it. I don't know, he's not... Because like the other stories in this you know, season 18 we've reviewed last couple of weeks, he's broody, but I feel like he's still a real presence on screen. And he is in this, but not quite as much. I don't know, I do feel like I do feel like Tom's winding down. Um, I can definitely feel it. You know, he just yeah. seems a little bit, like you said, just not quite himself. Um, but he's still very good in it, yeah. He's still good. There is something about season 18 tom that i i like even though he is different you know the costume and the broodiness i just just like the way it's all kind of winding up to his regeneration it seems to all even if it's unintentionally it seems to be all you know fitting into place mm. which i quite like yeah I read yeah. You. yeah so still i think he's still got it you know he's oh, still, definitely yeah he's still the doctor but just not quite as much um yeah you just get the feeling that with a combination of things, even if you weren't privy to what was going on behind the scenes, you still got the feeling that something wasn't quite hundred percent, whether it was his illness or he was just moody about Lala or Matthew Waterhouse, whatever it was. Yeah. But yeah, if you just go back like, you know, a couple of series, you know, he's absolutely just popping off the screen and amazing. He just doesn't quite have that shine. That zing. Yeah, maybe is also in in the back of his mind, which affected, well, not affected, but had an impact on his performance. Was he knew that he was going? He he knew that, you know, he was he was on his way out. So, yeah, mm. still still very good. Still obviously great as the Doctor, but yeah, yeah. You okay, can definitely put sense it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then lastly, Roger Lim. Some uh, so not bad music. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, so it suits the story, doesn't it? Yeah, it's funny because I can't really think, didn't really notice the music that much, although I know there's quite a bit in it. But, but yeah, I think it's, it fitted the story, didn't it? Like the Melka music stuff is yeah. quite good. Yeah. Uh, and I think Roger Lim, he sort of found his feet a little bit as he went through the Davison era, composed um, mm. three or four stories for, for Davison's Doctor, and they they sound better. They's a, they're a bit more recognisable in their themes and whatnot, especially the caves of Androzani, crikey. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a cracking score, that is. So I think he does get more confident with the music as he goes through. But for his first one, not too bad, just not very memorable. Yeah. Okay, dude, if you've got anything else on your notes, we'll go through that. No. No, you're good. All right, score time. I think it's me to go first. I'm going to give Keeper of the Keeper of Traken, I'm going to give this a seven out of ten. Yep. Seven, okay. Um, I'm going to be quite consistent with the other stories we've reviewed the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to go with 7.5. Another 7.5? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of all on this level for me, and I 
it's hard to explain, but I don't think they're the best stories. But yeah, I'm really enjoying like this era, if that makes sense. Like I'm really enjoying season 18, even though I think the stories um, are a bit flat at times. Yeah. Hmm. There's something about this era that I really like, the, the atmosphere of it, I guess, if you like. Yeah. Okay. I'm really, really digging it. But yeah, it's all kind of on a 7.5 at the minute. I'll read you. Cool. Okay, well, that's a 7 from me then, and a 7.5 from him. What did our awesome listeners think? Let's kick off, as usual, this is Sammy Satine from Down Under. Hey, Gary and Adam, Sammy Satine here. So, the Keeper of Traken. I love Jeffrey Beaver's master. It's such a shame that he only gets this story to show who he is. If you haven't listened to his big finish stories, do it. Stat. They are excellent. I haven't seen a lot of Anthony's master, but I have liked what I've seen so far. I met a young woman at work a couple of months back called Nissa, named after Nissa. Hers has an I instead of a Y. Her mum was a big Doctor Who fan. I think maybe still is. I think it's a very good story. I also enjoy how Adric and the Doctor are getting along better. Also, Nissa and Adric working together to try and stop the Melka is something the show should have done more often after this. I like some of the costumes too. I give it 9 Melka out of 10. See ya. A 9. 9. 9. Sammy loving it. That's a good score, Sammy. Very good score. And cool that you are... The young lady you met was called Nissa. That's cool. A real life Nissa. I know. How cool is that? A real life one. Yeah, very cool. (laughs) Thank you very much, Sammy. Uh, moving on, this is Mr. Martin Arnold. Oh, hello, Keeper. I didn't see you there. Oh, this is my favourite episode, guys. This is this is it. It doesn't get better than this. I think this story is wonderful. I think it's a strong story. It's 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 not too much and it's not too little. You know, the, the pacing is great. It's four episodes. It doesn't need to be more or less. It stands on its own, but it comes perfectly placed in the season, which I think is, uh, you know, that's a real skill to actually organise the stories in a, a show like this, in a you know, in a season, and make them work. I think it's a real, um, a real skill. Uh, Nissa is a great character. Um, she's just vulnerable enough to be sympathetic, and she's a great role model, a young character who's you know intelligent. She's incredibly smart, and I think that's something that we need to see more of in the new series. You know, not that they aren't smart characters, but more streetwise smart than than her sort of pure intellectual knowledge you know these characters are almost equal to the doctor or at least that's how they're portrayed uh the master is is scary that this sort of thing they had going during the um the tom baker years with the skeletal look is that's pretty full-on um and when the you know the melkor takes over the um the source uh, or the master does you know that's that's a sort of dark vibe and it's got this whole fairy tale vibe running through it the sort of truck and union is this sciencey magicy kind of society it makes the whole thing really great this sort of garden of eden thing going on where cassia is like eve gets tempted by the melkor it's all very credible and believable and the, the characters are strong and the actors are strong this is an absolute 10 out of 10 for me and if i'm not mistaken melkor is the uh, the great big evil force in the uh, the middle earth legends of old and that's my nerdy note for today and if you don't agree with my review i'm going to send the melkor after you take care no, don't send the Melker after us. No. <laughs> I'd love a Melker in the garden. I actually would I would love that. A 10 from Martin. Yeah, loving it. A bit of a love letter there to this one, Martin. I'm glad. So this is perfect Doctor Who or classic Doctor Who for you, Martin, which is interesting, which is cool. 
Uh, right. So, wow, a 10. So we've got a nine, a nine from Sammy and a 10 from Martin. Okay. Let's see what Jay's got to say. The Keep of Charkin is an episode in which I've always struggled with. It was one of the first classic Doctor Whos I watched on one of my dad's old VHSs. So it's nostalgic. But at the same time, my feelings on it have never really changed. The fact it is incredibly studio-bound makes me struggle to keep focused. And I find there's just too much talking. I appreciate what the episode tries to do. However, for me, it just doesn't pay off at times. The setting is cool. Trarkin as a concept is interesting. The Keeper at the start was very mystical and intriguing. Also, he looks so unearthly and I would like to see more of him. The Melka, even though the design was a bit cumbersome and basic, had a sinister aura to it. And I liked how they waited to the end to reveal the Crispy Master. Although it was a little obvious that it was him. The ending is fantastic with the Crispy Master taking over Tremus and rather disturbing at the same time. And it is a great introduction episode for Nyssa who I found very good in this story. So overall, I'm going to give this episode a 6 out of 10. Thank you. Bringing the score down, Joe. 6. Of VHS. <laughs> VHS. What's he got? Digital watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Crispy Master as well. I love calling him that. Yeah, the, the Crispy Master. The Crispy yeah. one, yeah. yeah. Okay, so a 6 or from Skeletor. Joe. Or Skeletor, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 6 from Joe. Thank you very much, Joe. Moving on, this is TARDISNet66. The Keeper of Charkin is probably one of the first Fourth Doctor stories that I saw, a story up until now I didn't realise I had nostalgia for, as it's probably been about ten years since I last watched it. First of all, I really like the teacher and student relationship between the Doctor and Adric. Without Romana, their chemistry really thrives, and Adric has lots of respect for the Doctor. I like the idea of a world where peace has been achieved, and the world building of Charkin is very strong as is the presence of the mysterious Melka, and the story has a lot of stakes in its climax. My main issues would be as good as Geoffrey Beaver's master is, we don't get enough time with him, but the cliffhanger to episode 4 is fantastic. But I think the story could have better handled the essential family dynamics of Tremus, Nyssa and Cassia to give the story more tragedy. I think I'd give it a 7 out of 10. 7... Seven. I would like to have seen a bit more of the Christian Master. I agree. Wouldn't yeah. be cool. Maybe yeah. just a little bit more. Yeah. Sounds like TardisNet is aligned with us very on our score fairly well. Mm. Yeah, yes. nice one, TardisNet. Thank you very much. And lastly, this is Mr. Seblane. Hello, Gary and Adam. So this week on the Big Blue Box podcast, we are reviewing The Keeper of Char, can I see? So I'll be honest, I watched this one in January. I believe it was the first classic story I watched of this year, which is something. Um, after I haven't, you know, before January, I didn't know a lot about this story. I had it on DVD for years, but I just never really, I probably watched it once or twice, but never really felt the need to rewatch it until January. Anyway, what did I think of the story itself? Well, I'll be honest, I did find it rather underwhelming. My dad loves this story. It's always been one of his favourites. So I went in with pretty high expectations and sadly, I don't know, I just felt like it was rather bland and it was missing something. Tom looks very tired in it, bless him. And Nyssa, I do like Nyssa as a companion very much, but her introduction is bland. The Master is good, though, in part four. And it's okay, so I'll give it a 5.5 out of 10. Bye for now. Cool, the lowest score so far. 5.5, eh? Yeah, you're right, though. Tom does look knackered. He does. Bless him, yeah. Okie dokie. Well, thank you very much to our audio reviewers. 
Very much appreciated as always. Some really good scores and a low score. Really mm. Okay. What did our awesome listeners think over on the socials, over on Twitter? Chippy T says, cracker this one. Will the successor to the throne be good or bad is the question. This applies to the keeper, the doctor, the master and the companion. You decide. Good mm-hmm. scripts and great villain in Melkor. Adric has gone from infants school maths badge to orb repairer. Question <laughs> <Yeah>. mark. <laughs> An 8.5, though, from Chippy T. Oh, okay. Decent. Our writer Jordan says, One of my favourite stories, the cast are great, and Sarah Sutton is instantly likeable as Nyssa. Anthony Ainley is great, too, as Tremus, and I've always liked the Crispy Master. From the script to set design, this is a great story that I love to watch in the autumn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Edward Gillooly. I enjoy this one. It's a good introductory story for Nissa. Adric isn't too annoying for once, and the guest cast are all good. It <laughs> makes good use of its studio bound setting and the world building of Traken is well done. I enjoy uh I enjoy how the Melka looks too. Seven point five. Oh, same as me. Sarah Louise, the running Hoovian, says, possibly my fave ever Tom Baker story. A brilliant, really? brilliant cast, great sets, and good intro to Nissa. I also love the Tremus slash Master anagram and the subtle TARDIS sounds around the Melkor. The clues are there, and attention to the finer detail like this make it an absolute winner for me. A 10 out of 10. Wow. A 10 from Sarah. Uh, like Martin, loving this one. And lastly, the Lost on Gallifrey podcast. Melkor looks fantastic, and the Master is great, but I feel like I missed something with this one. I like that it's different, but the middle two two parts in particular seem a whole load of nothing. Middle of the road, five out of ten. Oh. oh. <laughs> and over on Facebook, Jeff Waddle says, found it rather dull on transmission, and having seen it again recently, my opinion hasn't changed. <laughs> oh. um, what was once a fun, exciting era of Tom's, probably the best the show has ever had, at this point had morphed into an era of technical gobbledygook and gloominess that made this season a chore to watch. Five out of ten from Jeff. Oh, dear. Mark Hugill says, The design is all rather lavish, but the acting is like a stage play and the direction is flat. Overall, very dull. The lowest score so far from Mark, two out of ten. A two. Charlie Turner says, Best story of season 18, hands down, which is a bit of a mess season overall. Great introduction to one of my favourite companions, Nissa. Two, played by the absolutely lovely Sarah Sutton, a nine out of ten. Nine, all right, yeah. Joseph Howarth. It was quite a bleak story, but it was very good. I wish we had more appearance from, more appearances from Jeffrey Beavers as the master in this TV series, but hey, that's what Big Finish is for. I feel like this is the only time Anthony Ainley was subdued in his performance as Tremus. The story introduces Nissa, and I feel the Melker was a smashing creature if it was just the master's TARDIS. Great atmosphere. Trakan was nicely established. Overall, 8 out of 10. Aaron Ball says, I enjoy this. Very talky. But Tom and Adric are very underrated with each other. The master maybe needed more time, um, but is great in this one. The atmosphere is really good. And the great world building and love the master before the master, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. And lastly, Andrew Stewart says, this is quite a bleak story, but I really enjoyed it. I wish the master would have shown up at to the cliffhanger of part three by mm. stepping out of the Melkor and revealing himself to the Doctor. Tom Baker, as the Doctor, is just brilliant. However... When Tremus was hypnotised, I thought the Doctor was hypnotised. Yeah, the Doctor wasn't hypnotised, was he? I thought it was just Tremus. Mm, was just he Tremus, I yeah, think. Yeah. Anyway, this is quite a long review from Andrew. I think he was acting, wasn't he? Wasn't the Doctor pretending to be? I thought so. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. Uh, but yes, a long review here on Facebook from Andrew, so um, I won't read all of it. But he goes on to give it an 8 out of 10. 
Eight. Not a bad wow. score at all. So some hit and miss scores, dude, I would say. It's a bit Marmite, this one, isn't it? It's one mm. of those stories that I'm well aware that a lot of people love it and consider it to be the best of season 18. And it always bugs me when I can't quite see why. Because I like it, mm. but it's a bit of a, you know, I don't know, it's a bit of a slog, I think, at times. So, yeah, I always think, what am I missing that those guys are seeing? If you know <laughs> what I mean, like Sarah gave it a 10, didn't she? And Martin yeah, as well. Yeah. I like it, but I just don't, I wouldn't love it. But, yeah, a lot of love out there for it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, indeedy. Okay. So next week, bud, what are we on to next week for our review? Next week. I'm really looking forward to this because um, it's one of the first stories I really remember properly. Uh, so yeah, next week it's Tom's final. The moment it's been prepared for, it's Legopolis. <laughs> Very nice. Legopolis indeed. Yeah, looking forward to that one, dude. Yeah, I am, good. yeah. Yeah. All righty. Let's wrap here then, mate, for episode 308. All righty. Thank you once again for coming back and listening to the Big Blue Box podcast. It's been awesome to uh, go through pretty much the penultimate story, obviously, in Tom's run. But yeah, a little bit of a a mixed bag in the scores. For some reason, I always thought that this one was really well loved and liked by consistently lots of Who fans. But clearly not. We had some (laughs) belting scores in, obviously, with some tens and nines and stuff. But yeah, still got those fives and even a two. A two out of ten. Yeah, mixed, very mixed. Anyway, yeah, it was good to go through that. And as Adam said, next week we're on to Tom's final story as we conclude our Tom Baker month, which will be Logopolis. So get Logopolis. that watched indeed, because we'll be asking for your thoughts and reviews as always. In the mean, in the meantime, head over to the website www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of our shows over there. And you can also link off to various things. The first one being all of the podcast apps and networks. Uh, Click those links, go over to those, or whatever podcast app you listen to your podcasts on, just do a search for The Big Blue Box. We'd love to have you as a follower. That way you won't miss a show and it lands every Friday. And if you have a minute to leave a review or a rating for us, either on uh, if your app allows you to do that or over on podchaser.com, that would be really appreciated because we love that stuff. It helps us out lots and lots we are on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook there are links on the website come and give us a like and a follow over there we chat doctor who throughout the week we have a free discord server as well a link on the website come and uh, sign up and chat and hang out with other doctor who fans we have a youtube channel as well a link on the website we're doing live streams at the moment at the weekends come and get involved over there and on the website just to close that bit out we also have very cool articles and reviews from our writing team mark maria and jordan go and check those out some really cool stuff over there and also remember to go and check out my co-host channel his youtube channel is called the geeks Geeks yes that's right so i'm on all the socials instas twitter all of that stuff all of that good stuff yeah so remember that it's the geeks handbag loads of cool stuff uh, loads of cool videos from Adam there and he's putting out some recent ones too which is all good stuff so yeah. go and check them out it's all good Radio. until next time for 309 my name's Gary my name's Adam and remember a, a- lovely, lovely.